This is Robert Rose, co-author of Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. So Robert Rose, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Oh, you don't know how glad I am to be here and have yet another excuse to open up a cocktail. I mean, come on now. Well, it's now, so great to be with you, my friend. Thank you. And I kind of, well, one of the reasons I started this hopefully short-lived series uh, is because uh, that no one makes cocktails like Robert Rose. And I just wanted to give you an, uh, another outlet for your cocktails. And I say this because I think every Friday on Facebook and probably Instagram, I don't know, I don't, I'm not on Instagram very much, but you post these unbelievable pictures and you say something like, "Today, Friday's concoction, and it's always a different drink recipe, and it always looks really good. What, where did all that come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the story behind that. It is hashtag Friday Concoction. Uh, I started it about almost a year and a half ago. In fact, I got some about four months ago, five months ago, I got one of those, you know, sort of memories from Facebook and it was one of my very first ones. Um, so, and I've been doing it just about every week, um, even when I'm on the road. And the whole thing started because I, so I've been a tequila lover for a long time and was really starting to explore finer tequilas, really nice tequilas. Like Jay Bear kind of tequilas? Yeah, well, even better, I would argue. <laughs> um, my friend Jay Bear is a connoisseur of tequila for sure. And yeah, I, I would put it into that same kind of category. And so- what I was doing then was trying to find interesting things to put into the tequila that wasn't sugary or wasn't syrupy or wasn't artificial. So all completely natural things, which meant basically I was either muddling fruit or putting some sort of fruit juice, like organic fruit juice into it or finding those things. Right. And uh, what ended up happening was just over time, it just sort of morphed into this thing where I started getting more and more creative every week to try and find things that would be interesting to drink, but at the same time, not like your standard mixers, right? Not like a standard margarita mixer, because usually I was putting it into some very nice 
tequila and I didn't want to ruin it, quite frankly. <laughs> right. And so that's how it all started. And now, you know, it, it it's one of those things that, quite frankly, um, you know, it, it, as one of the things that I always say to my clients is, you know, you should uh, stop doing content when you stop for a couple of weeks and nobody misses it. And right. for whatever reason, I can I can't tell you why. I'm just some chucklehead sort of throwing stuff into a glass. Um, you know, I've stopped a couple of weeks because of travel or because I forgot or whatever. And people email me and people like, like, where's your damn cocktail? What the hell? I mean, I, I need that. And so I've just tried to keep it up for the last year and a half. And it's been a lot of fun doing it ever since. And yes, it's both Facebook and Instagram. Cool. So Robert, for those who uh, may not have been listening for a couple of years, because I interviewed you, gosh, uh, four years ago about about the book, um, remind folks, uh, as Mitch Joel would say, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> well, I am a, uh, a, I guess you could call it, you know, sort of my title at, at, at my little company is Chief Troublemaker, and where we focus is content strategy and content marketing. Um, for a long time, I was the Chief Strategy Officer with the Content Marketing Institute, and uh, did that for a number of years with my pal Joe Polizzi, and he and I actually wrote a book uh, subsequent to the book that you and I talked about, which was Experiences, of course, The Seventh Era of Marketing, and he and I wrote a book called Killing Marketing um, about uh, content marketing and sort of its prevalence in the enterprise uh, landscape these days. Um, since then, I run around the planet and talk with companies, usually larger companies, and talk to them about how they're transforming owned media primarily, you know, their websites, their blogs, their magazines, their resource centers, their content into strategic communications channels. And uh, it's, been a, uh, it's, it's been a good ride so far. So are you no longer with Content Marketing Institute, which uh, so many people associated you with? Uh, well, we are partnered. Let's put it that way. So since the acquisition of CMI back in 2016, and Joe rode off into the sunset um, with his orange shades on, um, I have since uh, taken over in, in, in many ways sort of the face of the organization as a strategic partner. Um, I was never an employee of CMI. I was always sort of a strategic partner of Joe's. And when he left, um, I sort of took that role and sort of kept it. So I still, you know, curate Content Marketing University. I still help wrangle all the speakers for Content Marketing World. I still serve as chief strategy advisor for many of the things they're doing um, and still, uh, you know, help to curate the research and, and all of that. And the podcast. That's correct. And the weekly wrap podcast that we uh, that we do. Um, but I've also spun out all of the things that I was doing in partnership with Joe, which are primarily the consulting and workshops and training and spun out my own company called Content Advisory, which is where uh, where I hang my hat now. OK, OK, great. Well, uh, it's interesting. Your co-author, Carla Johnson, I'm going to get to have drinks with her in a couple of days. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> she is one of the loveliest people on the planet. It is a she is a delight. Yeah. So uh, now you're in uh, beautiful Southern California, right? I am indeed. Okay. And uh, I always associate you with the beautiful people. And, you know, I think you wear <laughs> well, it well. And you are, you are very mistaken, my friend. <laughs> uh, but um, so you, uh, my sense is that you're traveling all the time because, and I know I sound like a, 
a Robert Rose stalker, which I am. I wear that badge proudly. Okay. And uh, I'll see you take pictures from airplanes just as you're flying home, and you'll say, uh, you'll take a picture, a beautiful picture of the ground, and you'll say, almost home, jiggity jig, or something like that. Home again, <laughs> so, home again, jiggity yeah. jig. Yeah, it was That's what right. my dad used to say every day, every time we would come home from a vacation out at the uh, lake house when we turned into the driveway. He would always say, home again, home again, jiggity jig. So all that travel for you has stopped rather abruptly? It has stopped completely, yes. It has uh, the lovely uh, COVID uh, virus uh, has has basically put a stop to all of my travel. Um, I have been home. I was actually comparing notes with our friend Jay Bear on this. I have been home longer now um, than I've been in 20 years. Oh, how your wife must be suffering. Uh, well, she would tell you exactly that. Yes, she would. She, <laughs> yes, she would. She would tell you exactly that. Although it's, I will tell you this: it has been really fun. There, you know, there are a few fun bits of this whole thing, but one of the fun bits has been, quite frankly, to spend a whole heck of a lot more time with her. It's been, it's been grand. Yeah, and the same here. Like my daughter is a senior in college. She came home for spring break and they said, don't come back and there's not going to be a graduation ceremony. So she's very disappointed about that, but you know, it, it, it I, I'll never forget having her around so much. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, we're trying to make, make the best of it. But, um, more importantly, Joe, how does this affect your Dallas Cowboys? Well, how does this affect the Dallas Cowboys? You know, I mean, how does so, it, doesn't it all come back to the Dallas Cowboys? It does. A, a life basically comes back to the Dallas Cowboys. So, uh, I, you know, this is the part where I, I, I can't believe you've brought this up because this is the part where you lose about half your audience. Yeah, 31 um, other uh, NFL teams, all their fans have just dropped out. Uh, but, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, even the Cowboys fans have dropped. Well, out. if Tim Sanders is listening, uh, he, he'll he'll keep he'll keep listening. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, well, we'll see with football. Just generally speaking, which I'm, you know, of all the things that I'm nervous about losing, you know, baseball and football were two of the things that I'm I'm most nervous about. You know, not being able to watch it all this year. Um, but this should be a good year. I mean, it's a new coach, a new, uh, basically, a, uh, the same team, um, new staff, new approach. You know, they're 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 a team that's a contender if they can get their act together. Mm-hmm. Robert, what are you thinking about uh, what changes this pandemic is is bringing about as it relates to your world, like? Uh, Content, uh, marketing, sales. I mean, everyone says uh, some, some, at one end of the extreme, folks are saying it's going to change everything, and others are saying, no, it's just going to accelerate some changes that were already underway. What do you see that's changing, and what do you think folks should be thinking about now? Yeah, I think both of those answers are right, by the way. I think it will accelerate some changes that were already coming, um, and it will introduce some new changes that I think people didn't expect um, at all. I think from where I, the lens that I look through, you know, I mean, certainly there are all aspects of business that I have opinions on and, and, and think about, but the, the lens that I look through from my career is that of content and communications, primarily marketing. And so when I think about what's going on right now, you know, there are, uh, elements 
you know, big changes in business have moved companies to focus more on the creation of value through content. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember 1987 um, and how that really changed the landscape of how companies marketed themselves when the stock market and, and the savings and bonds crisis really upended the economy. I'm old enough to remember, obviously, the you know dot-com boom. I'm old enough to remember the 2008, 2009. And it's interesting that companies like CMI were founded in those, um, in, in those moments. And a lot of that has to do with when, in, when we get in doubt as businesses um, trying to do the things we've been doing for 100 years, which is reach consumers and persuade them that they should buy our things, we have to deliver that value. That's not something that has changed ever in the history of marketing, right? That goes back to my Philip Kotler and looking at you know all of the lessons that he taught us so well, um, which was to continually deliver value, um, and that's what marketing's function is. So delivering value through content pivots every now and again, and these crises sort of move us in that direction. And I think one of the accelerated changes that will take place is certainly the move to owned media and valuable media and valuable the creation of valuable content. We're seeing that already, right? The number of companies that are trying to create valuable experiences for their customers and are accelerating the strategy behind those things has just gone through the roof in the last four weeks. You know, all of my colleagues that are clients that I've talked to in the last four weeks are busier than ever. Oh, really? Oh yeah, they're they're focused on triage of making sure that customer communications are happening, that are you know ensuring that emails and the right tone and the right language and the right communication strategies are being put into place, the right mm. value is getting put into place, that we understand the new order of the buyer's journey, that we understand where we are with content so that we're not seeming like we're tone deaf. All of those things are at the heart of a great content strategy, and that's just becoming front and center for so many businesses. The accelerated change, that's the accelerated change. The change that I look through that I don't think people are expecting um, or that weren't we weren't expecting that I think will stick out of this is in some cases the, you know, I think what businesses are going to discover is, you know what, this actual remote idea is actually a good idea. Hmm. you know, at, at its, at its heart, right? Do we really need to have that sales meeting, um, in person? Can we do this in a remote way and still deliver the same value? Do we really need to have, you know, people in an office, you know, 45 hours a week, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, I think what has, you know, because if you think about the remote work and sort of the flex work, thing, it really cooled off over the last five years. You know, it was a big thing in the, you know, 2010, 2011, 12, um, idea. And then, you know, Yahoo came out and said, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. And then IBM came out and said, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have everybody go to our cool office spaces and, and then, you know, and satellite offices and we work centers started to re- emerge and the whole idea of remote work sort of went away and now it's being thrust upon us. And I think a lot of these companies are going to go, you know what? This actually does work. Now, having said that, I think the technological shift here is going to be a big one. I think there are going to be a lot of new technologies that come out of this. Um, 
and start to emerge that help that collaboration and that remote work happen. And a lot of these sort of behind the firewall sort of applications are just going to suffer as a result. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, it's almost like, uh, you, uh, the remote work was being wrung out of the equation and now it's been thrust back uh, front and center and everyone's it's having to deal with that. And it's like remote work is saying, I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm back. It's exactly right. You know, in good and bad ways, by the way. I mean, you know, one of the points that I made to to someone the other day was I said, look, this isn't this isn't the remote work we've been fighting for and wanting, you know, forever, right? You know, there are a lot of people now who are working from home. Somebody said it really well, and I can't remember who it was. They said, this is not working from home. This is trying to work at home, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, for those people, they're A, they enjoyed going into the office every day, quite frankly, because it gave them some place to go because they don't have a home office or a desk or a computer or internet access or cell phone coverage or a microphone and a camera and all the stuff that, you know, that we who have been working from home sort of take for granted. They also have the kids at home. They've got the wife at home. They got the dog at home. They got the deliveries happening every day. And all of that's not conducive to actually working. So getting out of the house and going to the coffee shop, you know, was actually a, a good idea, but we can't even do that anymore. So this remote work idea, I think, is really interesting. But even that will change as we start reopening the reopening the country again. Yeah. Well, I talked to this guy named Joe Polizzi about a week ago, and uh, <laughs> I was able to get through that. And he was drinking what he said <laughs> I was, was able the- to get through that. <laughs> yeah, I trust me. I'm yeah, every other week. I, I mean, have you to guys are so. like an old married couple. So no. <laughs> he said he had the last Corona beer in Cleveland and he was drinking it on authors in quarantine, getting cocktails. So I just want everyone to know how, you know, this was, this was a special occasion. You know, this is, of course he was, he of suffers for his art. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one thing yes, he drinking was, Corona, you would be suffering. For your art. <laughs> <Right. Yes. laughs> so, uh, he said one thing I remember him saying was, because uh, I barely remember any of these conversations because <laughs> I've been drinking since noon. No, um, because he said, you know, there's never been a time for companies to uh, get back to trying to build their own audience, you know, strip away all this other stuff and get back to understanding about starting their own audience. And then I blended that in with a, a article I read today by Mark Ritson, who writes a weekly column for Marketing Week and just brilliant. And he was talking about how this is such a, you know, barring the the death and illness and everything, but for businesses, he's saying this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take a fresh look at everything and focus on all those things and ask, why are we doing this? And what what are we trying to accomplish and how can we strip out a lot of this extraneous stuff that just sort of collects, just keeps building up? And he said, you know, when things get back to normal, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to, uh, it's not going to be as easy. And it, it also brought to mind the idea of a person. I've ever found that, always found that when a, a new employee, they're so valuable because they're asking questions like, well, why do you guys do it this way? It's like, yes, right. keep asking that, keep asking that. But then they get into the groove and they just kind of say, okay, I'm, I see what I'm supposed to be doing. But they're such such uh, brilliant ideas. Have you seen uh, any changes like that with, with any companies where they said, you know what, we're going to stop doing this or we're going we're gonna to start doing something else? 
I've seen both actually, you know, I've seen, um, someone else and I read the Mark Ritson article, which I think is really great. I rarely agree with him on much. And this, you know, the, the last couple of articles that he's written, I've really, really agreed with. Um, he's a very smart man. Yeah. And let um, me add, I will include links to both those. There's another article about how he, he is not in agreement with folks who say everything's going to change. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, I will include a link to that at this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. There it is. I sprung for that new URL, Marketing Book Cocktails. You'll be able to find uh, all this information about not only Robert Rose, but those two articles that he just mentioned. Yeah. And so I saw that, the, and I'll add one other article that, um, uh, that you can add to that, which is one um, that uh, David Brown from, uh, uh, from Manifest, which is a great agency, content agency, um, he's the executive chairman there. He wrote for the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, where he talked about, and this is something I just resonated with, and I think it's a great sort of way to, you know, sort of tell you how I've seen both of those cases, which is, he says, the winners coming out of this are going to be those that look at all these legacy problems, legacy successes, legacy products, legacy everything, and saying, which of these things can we completely upend and just get rid of? Because this is a perfect opportunity to do that and really focus in on delivering value to our customers in a, in a new way. He said, the losers out of this are going to be the ones that hedge their bets, that try to launch new sub brands that try and take, you know, advantage of the existing tailwind that their brand had and use the COVID as a, as a, as a way of, you know, drafting off of some topical issue and try and newsjack the situation. And, you know, he said, those are going to be the ones that sort of add more noise to the chaos and ultimately, you know, ultimately not come out of this, the other side, a changed organization. And I'm in firm agreement that this is one of the few times in your life whether it's your life, whether it's your company, whether it's your, you know, how you approach just about everything, when you actually do have the opportunity to, to, to completely change things. Some people are being forced into it, right? I don't want to, sure. I want to be the first one to say, look, you know, there are people who are being furloughed. There are people who are being laid off. There are people who are, who are losing their companies. And this is not necessarily one of those luxurious moments where we get to say, I, let me see how I can pivot, Right. But even for those, and I'm right in that camp, you know, I'm the leader of a small consulting business that has been hit just as hard as any other business would be. This is the time to reinvent and it is an opportunity. And, you know, I mean, not to put too much of a, a, a weird metaphorical pun on this, but, you know, as the Chinese say, you know, a crisis is an opportunity riding a dangerous wind. And this is, you know, this is an opportunity for us to to take advantage of that wind and, and do something different. Yeah, I'm really encouraged by all the, I guess I'm looking always for silver linings, but I'm very encouraged by all the fresh thinking and objectivity that seems to be pervasive the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, you know, I'm seeing both sides of that, too. I mean, there are plenty of people in my Facebook feed and plenty of people in my ear that are, you know, doomsday and this is the the end of civilization and that we're never going back to the normal and this is awful and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and, and then, you know, and, and I have taken 
I have to tell you, it, over the last week, literally, you know, I mean, I have my bad days and good days, and I'm sure you do as well in terms of, of, of what's going on. But the, the attitude I have taken over the last uh, two weeks, which I've just, you know, sort of self-discovered is, you know, it's an old, there's a screenwriter, he sadly passed away about a year and a half ago. His name is William Goldman. He wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and among a number of others. Uh, great movies. And one of the things he wrote in his book about screenwriting in Hollywood was nobody knows anything. And that is the truth right now. Nobody knows anything. You know, anybody who purports to know what's going to happen with the country reopening and the economy and and how it's going to happen and what June or July or August or September or October looks like at this point is kidding themselves. You just don't know. And so the key is learn as much as you can and pivot as best you can and play the game as best you can. But we're all going through this together in, you know, and figuring it out as we do it. Mm. You know, it's the great scene from Indiana Jones. Like, what are you going to do now? And Indiana says, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> right. Now, speaking of screenwriting of interest to the listener, you were a, sc- a screenwriter. Is that right? I was, I was indeed for a very short time. And that's what brought you to California. Well, I actually moved out to California to be a rock star. I was going to be a musician. Um, I, you know, I moved out in 1987 from Dallas, Texas, uh, which is where I get my affinity for my football team. And when I moved out, I was going to be a musician and a and 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 play in rock and roll bands. Um, and funny enough, in 1987, the most popular music was grunge rock and gangster rap. And so a, a blues playing piano guy didn't. St- stand a lot of a chance to get a job. So that's when you pivoted to rap? Yeah. So that's where I pivoted to doing some writing um, (laughs) and had a little more luck there. I had a little more luck, you know, in the screenwriting realm and um, did some, you know, did some spec scripts and got paid to write on a couple of little things. And, but basically, you know, in trying to pay rent, I pivoted again and sort of discovered this weird thing called marketing. And how did you first connect with uh, Joe Polizzi and that, that world in 2008. Um, so from 2002 to 2008, I was the CMO of a software company here in Los Angeles and unbeknownst to me built a content marketing organization as the marketing team. Um, cause when they plopped $17 million on my desk and said, you know, here's the venture funding marketing, go do that. Um, I said, okay, well, we're going to build a different, you know, we were selling enterprise software and, I ended up, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to sell against IBM and Microsoft and, um, you know, open text and, you know, just huge HP, all these huge companies that I was never going to beat in brand or SEO or money or spend. And so I ended up, you know, much to the consternation of my board and my CEO, I built a media group. I built, a, you know, writers and journalists and communicators and designers, and we built a little content machine that sort of created, you know, this thought leadership, because my whole theory was, I can be a mile deeper than any of them, right? I can be the biggest thought leader in our space. And that's the only way we'll compete. And it worked. um, To some degree, we grew the company, and it was going very well. And um, I was out at a conference, and I had read his book, his first book, um, Get Content, Get Customers. Um, And I had so I had a design on meeting him because I knew he was speaking at this event. And funny enough, he and I were giving the exact same presentation. I mean, almost slide for slide oh, wow. um, at this at this event in Chicago. And 
I invited him to dinner and he and I went to dinner and we just started talking and it was, it's weird. You know, it's like those people you just meet and you instantly have friendship with, Mm -hmm. you know, he and I just instantly were, were fast friends and we started talking and then he told me in early 2009 about how he was looking at making a pivot and launching this thing called the content marketing Institute. And would I like to join him in that endeavor? And join on and run consulting and, and, and education. And I said, hell yeah, I want to do that. So quit my job and went all in with him and served as chief strategy officer. And he and I became, and, and still are fast friends ever since. Yeah. Cause when I spoke to him about a week ago, after he'd had a few Coronas, he said <laughs> that he met you in jail. <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't supposed to talk about that. In Mexico. Um, <laughs> in Mexico, was it? I see. Um, well, he remembers that a little different than I do. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he's he's not good at keeping a secret, that's for sure, especially after he's had a few. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, listen, last thing I wanted to ask was, anyone who heard you introduce yourself at the beginning of this uh, conversation, they heard you say uh, your book title experiences the seventh era of marketing can you take us out as they say to the uh, musicians and explain what is this seventh era you're talking about well that um okay so well here's the thing if you go to university for marketing you are generally taught about the five eras of marketing um, and I won't bore your audience with all five of them. Um, they're pretty well worn and they're in textbooks and you can, you know, um, there's the sales era and then, you know, in the, and the brand era and, you know, all these different eras of marketing that mm-hmm. are generally considered to be about 20 years, uh, in duration each. And the sixth era of marketing, um, is generally considered, um, to, you know, basically to have started in the early nineties with customer relationship management, the CRM, the one-to-one movement, um, you know, really brought forward, um, with the, uh, you know, one-to-one marketing and, mm-hmm. and all that of the nineties and using CRM systems and Salesforce automation systems during the dot-com era. And the contention that Carla and I had was that, you know, starting really in, you know, let's call it, you know, and they're not, you know, sort of light switches, but rather sort of faders, if you will, starting in the 2012, you know, post, just post recovery of the 2009, as we moved into more of this media oriented, content oriented idea was the experience era. And we made an argument in the book that what we were talking about was moving into a seventh era, moving out of the customer relationship era in marketing and moving into more of a experiential um, era where the focus of marketing was going to be on all aspects of the buyer's journey from the very first time we meet a prospective customer to keeping them loyal, evangelistic, et cetera. And the focus of the strategy of marketing was going to transform into uh, creating valuable experiences along that buyer's journey um, as a means of keeping them engaged, converting, and believing and sharing our story. And so the first half of the book is really about the idea and building the argument that we're in this seventh era. And the second half of the book was, okay, well, if you buy that argument, then what are some of the frameworks and approaches you need to actually deliver against that? And that's, I'll tell you, the the main 
focus of the latter half of that book is still the focus of, you know, the primary focus of my workshops and um, teachings to this day. So, I, you know, in other words, I still believe it. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And just from a uh, personal uh, marketing book podcast trivial uh, standpoint, when I interviewed you, for some reason, I didn't get a copy of the book. And it just didn't come through, and we couldn't reschedule. So I interviewed you, and uh, that was the only book I had not read before the interview. I'd done a bunch of studying and got all the information I possibly could. And then I, I still read all the books before each uh, interview, which I really love doing. Uh, some point after that, I went ahead and read the book <laughs> just to keep myself honest so I could say I've read every single book and uh, bought the Kindle version. And uh, so I always think about that. When they say, do you read every book? I say, yep. And I can really say that without any kind of uh, hesitation because I went back and read it after uh, our interview, and I'm glad I did. Oh, well, that's very sweet. I, I had no idea about that. I, I, yeah, I mean. Well, but I remember I didn't get the book, and you said, uh, Douglas, don't worry. The right people will be fired. <laughs> which basically consists of myself and Carla Johnson. So, uh, and considering we're both going to be on your show, neither uh, of our managers um, sort of took us to task for that. Right. That was interesting because I connected with Carla after that interview published, and then I was able to get her to come to speak at the American Marketing Association at uh, here in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, and I wasn't able to attend that particular one. So uh, it's just that I finally got to meet her, I think, at Content Marketing Yeah, World or well, dear, like I mean, the universe just has some sort of aversion for you for getting this, this material for some reason. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I got the material. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, well, listen, Robert, thank you very much for uh, joining us on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, and I hope that you and your wife uh, and family continue to stay healthy, safe, and sane. Thank you, my friends, so very, very much. It's a pleasure to be on here, and it's a pleasure to get to, uh, to drink with you. All right, everybody, last call. <laughs>